Thank you. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab it and make your way to Hebrews chapter 5, where uh, Angela just read from. I don't know if it's just me or if it's the rampant growth in our area, uh, but if you walk around, take some of the um, you know, trails around, it, it seems like some of the detention ponds or reten- I don't know, have become retention ponds. Like They're not supposed to hold water, but they do hold water, and they stink. Have you guys walked around and seen some of this on some of the trails and neighborhoods? They, they stink. Like the water is just not moving. There's no outlet for it. It just sits there and it just rots and it's just stagnant. And it seems that the only life in the, these ponds are, you know, snapping turtles, algae, and leeches. And you say, Joe, how, how do you know? Because on a dare, when I was a kid, I swam across one of these. Algae in my hair, leeches on my body. Stagnant water is nasty. It's not good for anything. It's very death-like. That's why it's fitting for Halloween. It's nasty. And it's... This exact thing that the text is warning us about this morning. Stagnation. That's what we find in Hebrews 5. And if you look through Scripture, I mean, if we remember where we're at in Hebrews, Hebrews is a book where the author is arguing and talking to a group of Hebrews in Rome facing persecution, and he's encouraging them to stick with Christ because he's better. Don't turn back to Judaism. Stay with Jesus. And so he's been arguing, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses and the prophets. Jesus is better than the high priest. It's what he's been arguing this whole time, and, and, but interspersed throughout all of this are a multitude of warnings. And so in chapter 2, we had a warning like, about drifting. Chapter 3, we had a warning about hardening our hearts. And this morning, we have this warning about stagnation. We'll have another warning next week. And the illustration that he specifically gives in this passage is that we are to grow up spiritually. And we're not to just be babies forever. That we are to, and here's the main word for today, mature. We're to grow up to maturity, not stagnate. And so this morning, what I want to do is just give you a couple of marks of maturity that this warning is pointing us to. But again, all, as always, context is king. And so we've got to kind of understand the flow of argument. I talked about, you know, he's, he's proven Jesus is better. So, you know, he hit, he hit uh, the angels. Jesus is better than that. Moses and the prophets. Jesus is better than that. End of chapter 4, he starts entering into talking about how Jesus is better than the high priest. And then last week, he started talking about how he's better than the high priest because he is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we dipped our toes into that just a little bit. But then as we come to this passage this week with verse 11, it's like he's saying, like, we've got to take a time out here. I want to go on and talk about Melchizedek and the high priest and everything, but, but I can't even talk about that because you, you've become so dull of hearing. So it's a, it's a rebuke that he's throwing down here. Like, we'll get, we'll get back to that in a little while, y'all, and he does in chapter 7. But first, I need to kind of go off on you for a minute. And that's what he does. And so look at it with me in verse 11. About this, 
the high priest, Melchizedek, everything that we were just talking about last week, about this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, the gospel, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so number one, folks, we need to understand that maturity requires learning. Okay, maturity requires learning, like it absolutely does. I mean, the passage that we read together this morning out of Colossians, praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God And so part of the life of a Christian is coming to know more and more and more of the goodness and the grace and the love and the mercy of Christ. Just the nature and character of who He is for His glory and our own joy. Sarah and I have been married for over 19 years. This coming August will be our 20 year anniversary and I love her more today than I did then. Why? Because I know we're better. Right? I know we're better. Now, if that is true of someone who is a sinner, and that's not going to get me in trouble, she's a sinner, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all in this boat together. But if that is true of a sinner, how much more so is that true of one who is sinless and infinite and eternal And always faithful and always good and always forgiving and always gracious. As you learn more and more about God, your love for Him will grow. In fact, the depth of our knowledge of God is directly proportional to the depth of our worship of Him. Now, not authenticity. You you can know very little of God and authentically worship Him, but the depth of that worship is directly proportional to the depth of your knowledge of God. I mean, applying that to Sarah and I, again, when we first got married, I, I, I loved her authentically, but it's deeper now because I know her better now. And so the depth of our knowledge of God is directly proportional to the depth, not authenticity, depth, of our worship of Him. And so maturity absolutely requires learning. And so in light of that warning that the text has given us about stagnation, about our need to grow up, there's four things we need to not do. These are your subpoints. And since it's kind of in the form of a rebuke, I'm giving it in the form of don'ts. Okay? And so letter A is this. Don't be dull in hearing. Don't be dull in hearing like if you want to mature you got to learn if you want to learn you can't be dull in hearing and the emphasis here is on you don't think about somebody else the text says since you have become dull of hearing 
Don't think about it. This is you. You apply this to you here. Are you dull in hearing? And when you think of dullness, you automatically think of like a knife or something. For me, since I had a firewood business when I was in high school, I think of a chainsaw. If you have never tried to cut wood with a dull chain, like it doesn't work. You just sit there, smoke comes, spark comes, nothing happens. You've got to keep that chain sharp. And it's the same thing with us as believers. We, left to ourselves, we'll become dull. And so we have to constantly, constantly be sharpening ourselves. Well, how do I do that? Well, number one, you gather for worship. You're being sharpened right now as we read the Word and sing the Word and pray the Word and preach the Word. And when we have baptism or the Lord's Supper, we see the Word. And so just super low-hanging fruit. If you want to stay sharp, stay consistent in attendance. Now, mere attendance does not mean that you automatically are you know, staying sharp. Like you, you can attend and not be sharpened. That can absolutely happen. But here's my point. You can't not attend and stay sharp. That, 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 that doesn't happen. Over time, your spiritual muscles will atrophy. But if you're here, it's like that constant drip, drip, drip of water that over time will bear, bore a hole through a rock. And so stay sharp by gathering weekly, but not just here, but also in groups, right? We, we grow in groups. Gather for worship, we grow in groups. So if you want to stay sharp, engage in Sunday morning Bible study. Engage in community groups, but then students especially, Wednesday nights. And I get that we're all busy, but listen to me, school and sports are not as valuable as your soul. Why get a 3.0 and forfeit your soul? Like taking an hour and a half in the middle of the week to recenter yourself on Christ and what's most important in this world and eternity to keep you sharp. Man, you need that. Regardless of what sacrifice it may make. Sacrifice of time, sacrifice of I don't want to. Like if you want to stay sharp, students, engage. Parents, if you want to help your kids stay sharp, Make them engage. I don't want to do that. You make them go to school. Grab hold of the low-hanging fruit of Wednesday nights and that drip, drip, drip that happens. And then obviously for all of us, reading your Bible, praying, spiritual disciplines, right? Don't become dull. If you need help with that, I'll be glad to help you with that. But another way sometimes we become dull is through influencers. And I'm not just talking social media influencers, though that's a whole problem too. But particularly those that you surround yourself with. So you are naturally influenced by the people you spend the most amount of time with. This is just natural to us. You are influenced by the people you spend the most amount of time with. Like they will either pull you closer to Christ or they'll be pushing you away from Christ. Now obviously, Great Commission, we want to be around people who do not know Jesus. Right? We want to do that. So all of your friends should not be just Christian friends. We should have non-Christian friends. But the close ones, the ones that you seek advice from, the ones that you ask into your life to speak into your life, they absolutely should be believers. See, non-Christians are going to give you non-Christian advice, right? 
Non-Christians are going to invite you to, into non-Christian things. Non-Christians are going to lead you to a non-Christian worldview. Obviously. Why would they not? They're not do, being mince, but they're just giving you what they got. And so listen carefully. Yes, you should have non-Christian friends, but make sure you are influencing them and not the other way around. But for those that you're going to take into confidence, that you're going to talk about struggles and troubles and worries and fears and hopes and dreams, those people absolutely should be followers of Jesus. And bonus, if they're members of the same church with you so that you're being discipled together, you've covenanted together, you've promised you're going to bear burdens, you're going to be there, you're going to support all the things that we recite at a members meeting. All the things that you read when you go through starting point. All the things that are on the wall out there by the fireplace. And so do a quick check on your life for a minute. Just think about your life. Who do I spend the most amount of time with? Who do I surround myself with? Are they helping me to pursue Christ? Or are they pushing me away from Christ? Again, we need to be around lost people. Am I influencing them? Or are they influencing me? Are they making me sharp? Or are they making me dull with their influence? And so letter A, don't be dull of hearing. Now go back at verse 12 with me. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now that word teachers there is not referring to like an elder or a pastor. Okay, not calling everybody here, hey, you should be an elder or a pastor by now. Not what he's saying at all. But he is stating the truth that as believers, all of us are to be teachers. And this is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what's the next word? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And the Great Commission is given to everybody, so all of us have a job of teaching to some degree. Sharing of faith, the basic principles of, of Christianity, the basic truths of God's Word. That's just part of who we are. We all have a role of teaching. Kids, grandkids, co-workers, classmates, teammates, people that we live around, people that are our neighbors. This is part of our job. And so he's saying, hey, you guys should have been doing that. By this time, you ought to be teachers. But then verse 12, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now that word again is super important because if you don't see that word, if we don't understand that word, you're going to go in a wrong, you're going to miss something. Like review is always needed. That's a lot of what we do. We remind ourselves, remember this, remember this. It's probably one of the number one words in the Bible. Remember, 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 remember. So review is important. Super important. Constantly needed. Like how many of you in here are familiar with Saxon math? All right, if you're in the homeschooling crowd, you probably may know it. But even in my public education in Georgia 20 years ago, we used Saxon math. And one of the things about Saxon math that it's noted for is its constant review. It's constantly bringing up stuff you studied 
months ago, and you're going over it again and again and again and again. And spiritually, we need that too. And so the author's not coming down on that. What he is coming down on is that they have straight up forgotten the basics and they need to be taught again. Not reviewed, but like complete starting again. And this is ridiculous. I mean, tonight, when you go trick-or-treating, right, you're not going to go to someone's house, get that candy, you know, and then dump it out and go get some other candy at another house and start again. Now, if it's candy corn, feel free. All right, that's an exception. But if it's good stuff, Reese's or Snickers or whatever, you, you keep that and you let it accumulate and you get this, you know, big mountain pile that you take home and then side note... Parents, teach your kids about taxation. Right? Here's why, here's why we're not communists. Give me all your candy, and I will decide which ones you can have back. Or, here, give me 50% of your candy, right? But back to the point, review is good. But these people, not only could they not understand spiritual concepts like the priesthood of Christ, they have forgotten the fundamentals of the faith. And so he tells them in verse 12, at the end there, look with me, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. And so in other words, he's scolding them to let her be. Don't be an adult baby. Don't be an adult baby. I talked about this years ago, but I stumbled once across a show on TLC. Don't judge me for watching TLC. It was a weak moment. But it was a show and they had this guy on there completely competent. Had a job, lived on his own, had a degree, had his own apartment, like completely competent. But his hobby was being an adult baby. Like he loved that kind of music, right? And when he would get home from work, he would, I mean, I'm not making fun, like he didn't have a special need. I'm not, I would never want to, I would never make fun of someone. But this was, this was his hobby. Like, he enjoyed this. So when he would get home from work, he would put on a, like, man-sized onesie. And he'd go to the fridge and get out a man-sized bottle. And he had built himself a man-sized crib with a man-sized spinny thing with, like, Winnie the Pooh stuff on it. And he would just, and he'd spin the little aquarium thing with the bubbles on the side. And it is. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> it makes us uncomfortable. And, and it should. I mean, that's the point. Like, don't. We're not meant to stay a baby forever. We're meant to grow up. That's the, that's the whole point here. Like, give, giving milk to a baby, that's, that's what they're supposed to have. Liquid gold, right? Is what nurses sometimes will call it. But that's for the baby. Then you move on to you know, solid foods, and then you graduate on to glorious, like, steak and stuff like that. You you need meat. 
Hey, this is a judgment-free zone. If you want to not be a meat-eater, you can just pass the plate. We're good to go. But we're to grow up. I mean, that's the point. We're not to be an adult baby. And so, again, you, gotta take, you, you have to take steps on this. You have to do something. You have to open your, the Word and read it. I don't know how. We'll read and ask two questions. What does it say about God? What does it say about me? That is a simple way to start reading the Scripture. Get in a discipleship group. See Pastor John afterwards. Sign up. Get in something. Get discipled. Read the recommended resources we put in the sermon guide every week. Those are good for you. Don't be an adult baby. And so look at verse 14. Let's keep going. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so the point here is that only maturing people can distinguish between good and evil. The immature aren't ready. And we understand this practically. That's why tonight, again, trick-or-treating, parents, you're going to tell your kids, hey, if a, if a van with blacked-out windows drives up and offers candy, don't go near it. Because you as a mature person understand bad. Child, immature, hey, that looks great. They're offering great candy. Oh, and over here by the sewer, there's a red balloon. I'm going to go check that out too. <laughs> mature people understand. Immature might not. And so discernment is a good thing. It's a spiritual gift. But we need to be careful of this. All right, so letter C. Don't overestimate your discernment. Don't overestimate your discernment. I've sometimes met people at this church, visiting or uh, outward, you know, outside and get to know one another. They hear I'm a pastor, so they automatically start trying to justify themselves or something. They're like, well, you know, I have the spiritual gift of discernment and flags of warning go off automatically. Because it's been my experience that that's just like code language for I am uber self-righteous. I am super prideful of all my Bible knowledge. And I tithe my deal and my cumin. But like Jesus points out, a lot of times leave undone things of justice and mercy. And so again, discernment's a good thing. It is a spiritual gift. Just be careful not to overestimate your discernment. And be careful about not just like discerning others but not ever discerning yourself. Discernment should start with you. Discern yourself, because like your greatest enemy to, to joy in your own life, to maturing in Christ, isn't out there. It's not other people. It's you. My biggest enemy is Joseph Stegall. Your biggest enemy is you. And so you've got to discern that first. Don't be tender on yourself and hard on other people. No, be hard on yourself and tender with other people. So don't be dull of hearing. Don't be an adult baby. Don't overestimate your discernment. Letter D, and don't confuse minutia with meat. Don't confuse minutia with meat. Back in the day, I loved to play Trivial Pursuit. You know, you've got to, Entertainment, sports, science, nature, uh, I don't know, art, 
uh, th- all these different things. It's just a game of like ridiculous random trivia. It's really not good and it's not useful for anything, right? But it's just a fun game. But applying this to maturity in Christ, like just because you know a bunch of random facts about the Bible does not mean you're spiritually mature. See, sometimes we think like the discovery of some obscure thing in, you know, the book of Leviticus is like, oh man, I discovered this new thing and I'm growing spiritually. Well, that's great. You discovered that. That doesn't mean that you're growing in maturity. It may help in Bible trivial pursuit, but minutia isn't meat. So I've been watching this show alone. It's on the History Channel, not TLC. I think they may own each other though, but no, I don't, that has nothing to do. History Channel, watching this show alone. And then what happens in this show is they take ten people and they're allowed to choose ten things and then they're dropped off in a place and they are to survive. And the last one to tap out is the winner. And they win half a million dollars. It's also a great weight loss program. They all shrink. But it, like with alone, with minutia, with meat, like it doesn't help them to find berries and pine nuts and you know, dandelions and all this minutia, they need meat to survive. They need salmon. They need trout. They need to catch rabbits. They need meat. And so it is with believers. Maturity is not found in the accumulation of minutia, but meat. In verse 14, the word of righteousness, which is the gospel. And so, yes, we shouldn't have to learn the basics again and again, but we should be able to build on the milk of infancy and move on to the meat of maturity. But don't confuse it with minutiae. We're not after trivia, we're after maturity. And so going back to the main point then, maturity requires learning. If you're not moving forward, if you're not growing in knowledge, as we read in Colossians, you will become stagnant. Maturity requires learning. Absolutely. But learning alone does not equal maturity. The formula doesn't flow that way. Maturity requires learning. But just because you've got learning doesn't mean you will be mature. You also have to have a second component. And so number two in your notes, maturity also requires living. Maturity requires learning, yes. Maturity also requires living. That's why verse 14 talks about like, You have to practice it. Training. Like you're doing it. You don't just know it. Maturity requires living. And this is, uh, if you listen to the radio, you know, you may come across a preacher named Alistair Begg. This is like the tagline on his ministry where the learning is for living, right? Where the learning is for living. And so, like in football, you study, you watch film, you recognize like if you are you know, a quarterback or something, the defense gives you this look, okay, there's going to be a blitz coming from this way, so I'm going to audible into this situation, I'm going to make a pass over here. You, you, you learned it, you studied it, now you've got to go out and do it. Or in boxing, you learn the guy makes this move, he leaves himself open over here so I can come with a counter doing this. Or in chess, I've actually never, confession, I've never played chess. 
but I'm sure the illustration works. One person moves this thing over here, that means you can move this thing over here. I'm a checkers guy. The point is, you have to know what to do first. But then you have to do it. You have to eventually do it. You have to live it. Knowledge alone will just puff up. And you put it into practice, and you'll be humbled. Because you failed a lot. You've got to put it into practice, though. Love and grace and mercy and resisting temptation and forgiveness and long-suffering and loving others even when they give us good reason not to. That's how you show the love of Christ to a watching world. And you, I mean, every wedding people read 1 Corinthians 13, but it's not really, I mean, yes, it applies to all love situations, but it's specifically to a church. It was written to a church. And Paul writes this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And love is patient. Like, this is what we live. Kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Friends, we have to live it. Head knowledge only is still stagnation. It must be put into action. When I was in seminary, a guy gave us this little formula. Right theology, if it's not applied theology, is wrong theology. Right theology, if it is not applied theology, is wrong theology. Somebody says, well, Joe, what hope do I have then because I've got all this Bible knowledge, I've got this right theology, but man, I have so failed at applying it my, my whole life. I don't apply it very well. If I do try, I fail. Sometimes I just straight up don't want to and I just straight up ignore it. What hope is there for me? Brother, the hope is that a big portion of applied theology is repentance. A big portion. That, that's a big part of how you apply it. 
It's not getting every single thing right, like in living it out all the time. Yes, that's the goal, but we still have feet of clay. And we will fail at times. And so it's about truly pursuit, not perfection. But like effort, pursuit, grace-inspired effort, yes, but effort. It's also about continual repentance. And so John, in his introduction, he talked about Martin Luther like 504 years ago on this day, October 31st, is what we look back to as we call it Reformation Day because we kind of look back to it as the spark when he wrote those 95 theses, nailed them to the church door in Wittenberg, served like a bulletin board, it's what they had at the times where they would post all kinds of information. He posts these things up there, and that wound up lighting, like sparking the powder keg that already existed, that then flamed up into the Protestant Reformation. But those 95 theses, the very first one, the very first one, translated from German, reads like this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. Summarize or shorten it that all of life is repentance. All of life is repentance. Not that we won't ever make any progress, but rather that repentance is the way we make progress. In fact, a continuing all of life repentance is one of the biggest signs that we are becoming more mature. It is the path of sanctification. You seek to learn, you seek to live. When you fail to learn, when you fail to live, you don't just excuse it, but you own it. I failed here. I'm not going to justify it. I'm not going to explain it away. I'm not going to point it on other people, blame it on other people. This is my fault. I blew it. So you own it. And you grieve it. It hurts you that you hurt Christ. Then you decide to leave it. And then you run to Christ to cleanse it. Again and again and again and again. All of life is repentance. That's applied theology. And so apply it, friend. Don't just wallow in self-pity. Apply it. That's your hope. Christ is merciful to the repentant. Merciful. We talked about it last week. It's not about what you did. It's did you come to Him or not? Again and again and again and again. We've got to learn. We've got to live. And so I will close with this. Everybody, we did this a couple years ago. Everybody take a deep breath, right? Now hold it. Keep holding it. I don't want anybody to pass out, but if you can, keep holding it. Okay, now you can breathe out before somebody falls out. Following Jesus, moving forward in maturity is a lot like that. You have to breathe in. You've got... You've got to breathe in the Word. You've got to learn. But you also have to breathe out. You've got to live. Because if you don't breathe out, what happens? You die. You become stagnant. 
dirty, dead water. And so it's not just about sucking the Bible into our lungs, it's about putting it into practice. So yeah, breathe in, but you also have to breathe out. Maturity requires learning. Maturity also requires living. Not just about knowing, it's doing as well. Let's pray. Father, we know these truths. This is nothing new for anyone who's been around um, Your Word for any length of time. Lord, we know we're called to mature. But Father, so often we become sidetracked with other things. And so we come to You today confessing that, owning it. And asking for grace for stagnant people like ourselves. For every single person in this room, watching online, in some way, is stagnant. Some in more ways than others, but true of all of us. And so, Father, we need your grace. Help us to remember your gospel, to apply theology. Yes, in how we live it out, but apply it even right now to our own souls as we repent and remember that our union with you cannot be severed because it wasn't us who achieved it. Our union was like, you did that. You saved us. By grace, through faith, in Christ. To remind us that we cannot sever our union with you. However, our communion with you, our fellowship, like we do have a responsibility for that. And yet, you are gracious and merciful for any who will come to you. And so remind us of the gospel. It's not just the means of entry into your kingdom. It is life every single day. The gospel is meat. And we need to chew on it over and over and over. And so we praise you for Christ's sinless life in our place because we've blown it. And we praise you for Christ's substitutionary death in our place that we deserve. Absolutely, undeniably. And that he paid our sin in full. He rose again, showing you accept that. Showing that death can't keep him, sin can't hold him. And that you have us, you forgive us, you love us. Not on the basis of anything we've done on the basis of what Christ has done. So help us to look to Christ and to grow like Him in learning and living. We ask this in His name. Amen.